0: <laughs> I'm a knockout fighter with a kick-ass fan. That's why they call me the honky tongue hidden man. A knockout fighter with a kick-ass fan. That's why they call me the honky tongue hidden man. Yeah!
1: <laughs> Welcome to about Nashville.net. About Nashville
0: with your host, the Honky Tonk Hitman, Mike Rogers. everybody, welcome to episode 4 of About Nashville. I am Mike Rogers. Today we're going to talk uh, to Kevin Collier. He is the lead guitar player for uh, Chris Young, RCA recording artist. Uh, Before we get into that though, I want to tell you that if you are in or around Nashville or just passing through or whatever else, stop by a legendary honky-tonk down on Broadway in Nashville called Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. Um, it's at 422 Broadway. They're open from 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. They actually have three levels now. Um, I've actually played that honky-tonk several times. Uh, downstairs, upstairs, and everywhere, you can play that place. Love it. Uh, Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, down on Broadway. 422 Broadway, 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. Three levels. Um, three levels! Uh, I will say this, though. Tell you a funny story. Back in the mid-90s, uh, whenever... I was boxing professionally and, uh, and trying to get back or work my way into country music in the Nashville area. Um, at this particular point, I'm, I'm boxing professionally, and I'm working, uh, there's a gym that uh, is down, it was down on Broadway, and it was over the Honky Tonks, it was a boxing gym. And I would remember going down to the Broadway area, uh, and I would go up those stairs, and I'd start working out and everything, and where it was located, uh, literally, like, I would be hitting the heavy bag, ha, pow, 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 and I I would be looking out the window at the Ryman Auditorium, and as I'm hitting the heavy bag and grunting and groaning, I'm I'm hearing all the country music coming up from the floors from the honky-tonks down below. Now, if you've ever been down to Broadway uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, the entire street on both sides, is nothing but honky-tonks playing country music. So here I am in Nashville, Tennessee, trying to, to uh, break into the Nashville country music scene, and I'm boxing professionally. And I'm trying to, to do that, but I'm sitting here hitting a heavy bag, looking out at the Ryman Auditorium where I want to be playing, and hearing country music coming from up underneath me and yet I'm using boxing to do it. It was a very odd time in my life, to say the least. Uh, but you know what, when you have to pay the bills, you do what you have to do, so uh, that's what I did. Um, we're, this next segment, I'm fixing to bring on my five-year-old daughter. Her name is Natalie. Uh, she is super funny, super talented, and she has an artist's heart. And uh, I told her that I would put her on the podcast, and she got all excited. And, uh, so I think I'm going to give her our own little segment and we'll, we'll see how this works. Uh, if, you know, if you like it, we'll, we'll keep it on. Um, we're going to call it Natalie's Updates. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to say it like that, but it just felt like the thing to do. Natalie, I don't know. Natalie's Updates. Who knows? I, I, I may be thinking way too much, putting too much into it. But anyway, let's get to that interview.
1: Lot of stuff, and well, at least the two funny ones, which are three P O and. Who's who's that? Okay, three P O, and R two D two.
0: And R two D two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's C three P O and R two D two, yeah. And those are your two favorites.
1: Yes, because they do a lot of funny things, and certainly C three P O got crashed, and certainly they had to try to rebuild him, and R2-D2 was being rebuilt by Luke Skywalker.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. So I, I got a couple of questions to ask you. Um, some, some serious topics that we need Natalie's viewpoint on, okay? Okay. So uh, who's running for the president right now? Who's running to be the president of the United States of America right now?
1: Barack Obama.
0: No, Barack, Barack, Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Yeah, Barack Obama is the president. But there, did you know that there's an election going on right now? Yes, I do. And, okay, so who's running? Who's running to try to be president? Do you, do you know who that is? Have you ever heard the name Donald Trump? Hillary Clinton? I've Bernie heard, Sanders?
1: I've heard some of those names. Marco Rubio? I've heard three of
0: those names but not Ted all. Ted Cruz yeah okay so 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 you've heard them you've heard of them right so what is your stance who's going to be the next president of the United States of America in yeah. Natalie's opinion who is going to be the next president I think the next
1: president should be you
0: me me you think i should be president of the United States of America and why do you think that, that I should be President of the United States of America?
1: Well, we could all move to the White House.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you think that I should be President of the United States of America so that we could all move to the White House?
1: Well, not just because of the White House. Then you could be in charge of the whole entire state.
0: Oh, entire of the what? Entire what? State. No, that would make me Governor. So, I would be actually in tar- charge of the, uni- the entire nation. I know. Okay. So so, so, so
1: if you won the election, what would you
0: do? If I were president of the United States of America? What would I do if I were president? I don't know. I don't know. If I were president of the United States of America, uh, they, I would probably get thrown out of office within the first 30 days. <laughs> they would be like he has got to quit playing that banjo, and that country music up in here. He he comes up in here and he thinks this is a grand old Opry. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh, you are very funny. Uh,
0: I know. I'd be I'd be in I'd be in Lincoln, be, be in the Lincoln bedroom in there, and you know, picking my guitar and somebody. I hey,
1: want you play cut, cut it down. Quit playing that dang country music up there. <laughs>
0: I don't, I don't know. I don't think they would like that too much.
1: I wouldn't either.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay. So, obviously, I would not be a good candidate.
1: Well, if you just had some advice from Barack Obama, you would probably be a very good president.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think you've got some, some good insight. All right. So, you're going to have a good week this week?
1: Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: we'll see you next week, Natalie. Now, before we get on to the interview with Kevin Collier, uh, who is one of you know, I've, I've worked with some really, really good guitar players. Uh, I've been in working in country music, or I've been in and around it since, uh, oh gosh, over twenty years. Um, I think I put out my first record on an independent record uh, back in '92, uh, Packer Records, called Giving Up on Love." So I've worked with a lot of guitar players, and uh, and Kevin was just phenomenal, and uh, he has gone on to play. Uh, he now he's he plays with uh, Chris Young, who's on RCA Records. So let me tell you about the story with me and Chris Young. Uh, at one point, you know everybody knows that Chris Young won the, well, I say everybody knows, uh, you know, most people know him now as a, a, a hit recording artist uh, for RCA Records, and he's had, you know, a few number one hits. But what you may not know is that he got his start off of uh, winning uh, Nashville Star. And in this particular year, which was actually 10 years ago, um, we were both up for it. We were both, uh, we had, I think we made the final 24 or something like that. And we were playing, uh, and, and I, you know, I'd gone to a couple of his shows, and, and uh, you know, there was the word out on the street was, hey, check out Chris Young, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and I had a pretty decent following, and he had a really good following. And, and so, you know, I, I went and checked him out, and he really, you know, he was a kid. he was And uh, he had a lot of talent, and uh, I saw a lot of promise in him. Um, then all of a sudden, we were put together, not necessarily against each other, but we, you know, we, we, we found ourselves in a competition uh, with this Nashville Star Show, and he was performing, I think, on a Friday night, and I was performing on a Saturday night. Well, I went out there on Friday night to, to support him and kind of see who else was uh, going was going out there and, and performing, and uh, when I did, I ran into his mother, and she was super nice, and uh, uh, she told she said something to Chris, and and I went to stick my hand out. She said, "Hey, Chris, this is the honky tonk hitman, Mike Rogers," and um, and she said, "Chris is going to be at your show uh, tomorrow." And anyway, he I, I stuck out my hand. I said, "Hey, Chris, I'm Mike," and he just looked at me and said, "Yeah, no," and turned around and walked off. And I thought, "What just happened? What the hell just happened?" And I looked at my friend, and I was like, "Did he just diss me?" He's like, I don't know. That was weird. And I looked at her, smiled, and turned around and walked off. And I thought, okay, whatever. That was, that kind of set me off a little bit. And um, and there was another incident when we were in a, uh, in in a close quarters where it was just me and two other guys and him and like completely did not say a word to me, just acted like I didn't exist. Blah, and I was I, I was pissed. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm gonna kick your ass on national television when we get on this show. I am going to put you over my knee and I'm gonna spank your ass. Awfully, you know that's a, that metaphorically, obviously. I mean with country music, um, and. I thought, you know what? I, and I was pissed. Uh, I, I was like, I, all right, you gonna act like that? W- w- I'm just gonna blister you. And um, so we we they uh, announced who was gonna be on the show, and he made it, and I didn't. And I got really angry. Now, what happened at that particular point was um, I got angry. Over a lot of things. I got angry because I felt like he dissed me. I got angry over the fact that um, I felt like I, I was being ignored in the country music business. I felt like I was, um, I probably had a lot of my own insecurities. I probably had a lot of uh, uh, all of the rejection and failure. And everything else that I had ever sustained in country music uh, all came boiling up to this particular moment. And I just happened, you know, because I couldn't put a reason or a, a, I couldn't say, all right, this is why I failed or this is why I failed or whatever else, or I just put it on his face on that failure. And, and, And the more I saw him up there, the angrier I got. Um... And then he, then it came up to, to, he got to the finals and that ticked me off. And I was like, you know, not only did I not get to beat him on national television, but, um, you know, here, here he is in the finals of this thing. And if he wins it, he's gonna, he's gonna get a record deal. Um, you know, I probably should have at some point in my life read, uh, that, that book, Dale Carnegie's, uh, uh influencing people and making friends or whatever it's called probably should have read that book. Didn't. Um, and I childishly, uh, I had a, you know, we, we both had large numbers of people on our, on at that particular point, there wasn't Facebook and, and all this Twitter and stuff. All I was around at that particular point was MySpace, And, uh, I had a pretty large following on MySpace and, uh, I sent out a message on Myspace that said, please vote for Chris Young to be the winner of Nashville Star. And I put Casey Rivers number underneath Chris Young's name and a very, very Dicky thing to do. I mean, hell, I'm a grown ass man doing this. He's a kid. He's a damn kid. And I'm a grown-ass man playing jokes or whatever you want to call it on MySpace. Stupid. Absolutely stupid, childish, foolish, and a very dicky thing to do. Um, and it wasn't long after that. Of course, he he won it, uh, thankfully. And... Uh, it wasn't long after that that you know I, I don't know something went off inside me. I was like, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? I mean, I'm a grown man. He's a kid. You know, I you know I, I'm not gonna let this go on. So I just wrote him an email. I said, dude, you know, this is why I acted that way. This is what I did. I admitted to it to him, and I said I apologize. So you know you don't have to say anything back to me, but you know just know that uh, that I'm sorry for that. And he responded back and he said, um, hey, you know, there's, there's, uh, we've had a, a misunderstanding, you know, uh, we need to talk. So, uh, we ended up getting together and we wrote a song together. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, we went to a Mexican restaurant and drank beer and, and just had a heart to heart and, um. In the midst of all of that, he told me that, you know, his mom had told him that, you know, uh, I was playing there Saturday night and that, he, you know, that, I, that he said, told her that he wasn't going to be able to go because he had to go back to Texas uh, and play some honky-tonk. So he, and another thing that I didn't know is apparently he wears glasses and uh, he has really bad eyesight and when he doesn't wear his glasses, Uh, He wears contacts. Well, he wasn't wearing his contacts, and he doesn't see very well. That's what he told me. And um, so when I went to go shake his hand, he didn't see me uh, attempt to shake his hand. And uh, he was telling his mom, yeah, no, that he wouldn't be able to go to see me perform Saturday night. And, you know, obviously he said when he wasn't wearing his glasses, when in the other situation, he didn't even see me and recognize me. So, I, I, you know, I, I take it for what it is and I believe it. And um, uh, so there you have it. Um, I, I listened to his life and, I, you know, we talked. And when we got to, you know, hear each other's sides of the story and, you got to know that he's a very insecure person, at least the guy that I met 10 years ago was a very insecure person himself. I myself am insecure. He is insecure. Um, And, you know, it, it, it boiled down to a miscommunication or insecurities, a competition, and we were like two dogs around a fire hydrant. So, um I'm glad that that, uh, that he won I'm glad that he's gone on to do the things that he has and it just goes to show you that you know that that's why uh, he does as well as he has in the country music business because he's a nice guy uh, me I'm a dick that I did Dicky things like that and that's why I didn't go any far you know I didn't go very far um, so you know it is what it is and as I told you in the beginning of this whole, you know, when I told you I was starting this thing, and, you know, there's going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm, I, you know, I'm going to share with you stories that have warts on them. And this particular story has warts all over it. Uh, not only in, in you know, my situation with Chris Young, but also, you know, uh, some of the stories that come out with Kevin Collier. There's warts all over them. Um, so, you know, that's just part of, I guess, getting to know who I was or who I don't want to be and who I'm working on becoming. You know, I, uh, I will say this, uh, I find myself trying to be a better man every day. I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to be, I don't want to go through life, you know, wishing I had accomplished this or wishing I had accomplished that or having any kind of regrets or I just want to know that I went through life and, uh, I lived it as, as the best I could, and uh, I accomplished as much as I possibly could in, in, the, uh, in the time that I had it. So, uh, you know, all I can work on is being a better man. So, uh, Chris Young, once again, my friend, I'm sorry uh, that I did that Dicky thing 10 years ago, and uh, I applaud you for all of your success that you had in the country music business. Um so with all that said let's get on to this interview now with Kevin Collier. So <laughs> you know what I've I've heard him go to 10. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, we were talking about Ronda Rousey and we were talking about uh, Holly Ham. Right? Did, did you did you watch
2: Fight? I didn't watch the Fight because I was actually working uh I I end up having to see everything after the fact because I'm always gigging on Saturdays and that's when there's always a fight.
0: So did you know the result before you watched it? I knew the result before I watched it,
2: yeah. Um, Which, you know, is is kind of bad because you sort of get a a predetermined (laughs) mindset of what happened because you hear the result and then people are talking about it and then you kind of see what happens and, you know, you see highlights and whatever, but um, yeah, so I knew what happened. No one does a good job at Keeping that stuff quiet. So, so where were you when you when you heard it? Once you out there, I don't know if that's.
0: We have a leak coming know. from the light. I hope you yeah.
2: don't. You might get lit up.
0: Survive the tumor and get <laughs> yes. and get electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. Oh
2: shit! You no, know, I'm trying to remember where I was. I think I don't know. They all kind of run together for a while. I was either in um, the West Coast. The East Coast, um, the Midwest, the the South, or the
0: North. So you really have no (laughs) earthly idea. idea. (laughs) Now I know why the mop. Not exactly why that was. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Well, let me ask you this. Did
2: you? Did it surprise you? It did surprise me. Really? It did surprise me just because I didn't. I don't think I I I knew uh, Rousey's background, but not the other girls. And I, you know, I kind of knew how Rousey fought, but I, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to who she was coming against. So
0: you, okay, so you just kind of fell into the old blanket of, you know, Ron Rousey's a badass, and
2: I, I, I thought she just had, I honestly thought she just had a, uh, there was nobody in the league of what she did, that you know, sure for her weight class and all that stuff, and you know. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to mm-hmm. say if
0: it happens again, it's going to happen. The same thing's going to happen.
2: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that. Um, I mean, it was obviously um, hand skills that, that won the fight. Actually, and, it,
0: it, it, it was footwork. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, good point. It yeah, was I It was, It was. was uh, Hands really didn't have a whole... I mean, right. sort of. She kept her at bay with jabs and right. The right hands and things. But they really weren't the most effective thing in that fight. What was... What was so effective was, was her footwork yeah. and the way she made her miss and the way she would then retaliate with the kicks, it was just amazing. Yeah,
2: and it seems like it seems like from watching Rousey, she comes in and she grabs and she does those judo throws and she gets you know, people to the ground. She and
0: didn't buy into the, 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 the pit bull stuff. No,
2: she just kind of stayed, I guess she stayed her distance. Yeah, yeah, she it kept it her distance.
0: The irony is, if you go back and you watch Jimmy Fallon with mm-hmm. Ronda Rousey on, her, on it, she tells... Jimmy Fallon Holly Helm is going to try to keep me at bay keep me doing this and then, and then you want to try to counter me with a kick it's not gonna happen and that's exactly what and that's exactly what happened <laughs> it was funny it's like
2: do you think do you think that that with her knowing that and this kind of goes all into the I mean and this is a, a a conversation all on its own but when you get that big at what you do do you think that you you just have so many people feeding you? this and that that you feel like that nothing can happen
0: um that's funny that you should say that every fighter uh should believe that they can win the fight right um but my father is a hall of fame boxing coach and he used to tell me never read your press right never read your press and i I mean i wouldn't i i I was not a world-class athlete by any chance not a stretch of the imagination uh, but I knew world class. And right. I knew, you know, the the difference. And I think that, you know, if we were talking about when to fight, when not to fight. I was smart enough to know when not to fight and when right. to fight. And I think that Ronda Rousey kind of started reading, believing her own press and started right. thinking, you know, I am unbeatable. I'm Mike Tyson. You know what? Uh, Mike Tyson can beat Mike Tyson. Yeah. So, and that's what happened.
2: So. Well, with that being said, and the... Hugeness of UFC right now. How hard is it to ignore when you're getting deals here, deals there? Because I mean, that that but you become a rock star at that point. She's yeah, still if, a rock star. Yeah, exactly, and she will be. Yeah, if she never fights again, she'll still be a rock
0: Absolutely. star. Absolutely, yeah. she's got her moment. She yeah. and, well, you know, uh, hopefully she's got a good financial advisor. because right. Nobody's a star forever. You know, no. fame is fleeting. I. think <laughs> If I if I had to choose between fame and and, and uh, fortune, I would definitely choose fortune. Uh, not that fortune isn't fleeting either, but I would rather take my gamble on that one.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I think. That's a decision that comes with age, too. <laughs>
1: true.
0: We are some old, gnarly-ass yeah. bears. So, so let's start this back. Where are you yeah. from? Where are you originally
2: from? Uh, I'm from Virginia, and I always say Charlottesville, Virginia, but that's the closest big city to where I was from. So I, I grew up in a little, literally, a one-stop-light town just north of Charlottesville called Rutgersville, Virginia. We had... Um, We had two towns next to each other. One was called Rutgersville and one was Standardsville. And basically we all went to the same school and there was one stoplight that was in the entire town of the the two towns. And then eventually, by the time I graduated, there were two stoplights.
0: So what did you do growing up?
2: Um, Well... uh, Things I can talk about, or?
0: absolutely, <laughs> dude, you can say shit on here. You can say, damn,
2: it doesn't I, matter. When I when I was a kid, um, you know, we had um, we were far enough away from from a, a big city that I, I grew up a really a real a real country life. Okay. I mean, I mean, uh, next to my house literally was a hayfield that. My mom would send me out of the house if it was warm enough I wasn't even supposed to be in the house It was like go out. I don't want to see you for four hours. You know these days you can't do that but back when it you know I was it was like 80 It was probably more like 79 you know, yeah, yeah, you
0: know and um, We'd leave we literally wouldn't have cell phones wouldn't have anything we'd leave All day long, parents yeah. wouldn't know where we were at. Yeah. Come back out when it was started to get dark.
2: Yeah, that's it. And you weren't worried about. It. No, that was it. No. So basically, up until I discovered, um, you know, certain things that sent me a certain way, you know, direction in my life. Man, I was just a a rough and tumble kid that would climb trees, fall out. I mean, I remember climbing on top of my house and jumping off, and driving my kids, cr- kids, driving my parents crazy because their kids jumping off their house. You know, <laughs> I remember I would build, I would build, you know, little ramps for my mini bike. I would, you know, uh, I mean, I would, I can't believe that I, I've never had a broken bone except for like. Uh, a, a, both my my small toes that's it but I've never had a major broken bone in my life and I've literally fallen 15 feet out of a tree onto my back and I mean I just I was so lucky that I look back at all the stuff and like, I was an idiot. <laughs> I was a stupid kid. So maybe my mom should have paid more attention. There's
0: <laughs> a good thing the internet didn't. There's a reason that we got, in- you yeah. know, we grew up without the internet. I was my
2: own version of jackass without the the, the really weird stuff. <laughs> you
0: know? <laughs> without the getting paid doing stuff. Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. I mean, I had dogs that they would get into fights and I would just try to break the. I have scars on my hands from, you know, I mean, I would never let my kids do any of the stuff that, that my. My parents let me do, I mean, not because they were, they just didn't know what was happening. Right. You know, it's just like, and I think that, you know, at a at certain point, that's, a, so I mean, basically, I was a real active kid. Um, and then, uh, you know, as I got a little older, my mom made me take piano lessons, so I played piano for a long time. And I liked it. I mean, it's not like she made me take it, but I would play it, but I would play the stuff I wanted to, but she thought I was good, so she made me try to get better But and it was okay, you know. I did it. I probably started piano when I was like, you know, maybe ten or something like that. But I decided it wasn't cool anymore. Really? <laughs> you know. Um, but I still played. So I, I stopped taking piano lessons. And I got my first band was actually, I think I was. Uh, I, I played keyboard in my first band, which was which is pretty funny because I couldn't play a song on a piano right now if I had to. Chopsticks. You know, yeah, I could do that. I could okay. pull that up. If it was all the white keys, <laughs> <laughs> I can figure it out.
0: Oh, but, uh, so you're a racist piano player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only play the white. Keys. <laughs> okay, so how were you when you started when you picked up the guitar? Well,
2: um, I was 15 and my dad had um, and a lot of people can relate to this story because um, you know, my dad always played guitar and sang and had friends come over and my cousins were bluegrass musicians and um, I mean, that was kind of a, a little hot spot for bluegrass and, you know, kind of just rootsy music. And uh, then um, I would pick up my dad's guitar and it was... I felt like the strings were like an inch off the, you know. I was just, you know, he could pick it up and play it and everything, and I would pick it up and try to make it a, a G chord and be happy because I almost got it. Was it acoustic or like it an acoustic? It acoustic? Okay. So then, so, uh, and this is this is this is you know kind of interesting, but um, so then I ended up uh, playing his guitar a lot and you know uh, learning some stuff just by ear, and. Um, that he he got me for my 16th birthday he gave me he gave me an electric guitar really yeah and he set me up with some guitar lessons um, made me pay for them but he told me about them he said here's where you're gonna go I figured everything out you know go do that so I did and um, later on down the road I uh, was talking to him about that and he, he basically said um, I bought you an electric guitar so you'd leave my guitar alone for one thing but also that you're getting to the age where you're going to get into a lot of trouble if if you just I mean I had my driver's license and he said I just wanted you to focus on something you know I wanted you to have you know he's like I remember being 16 I, your mind's going everywhere did you have a car? I did have a car kind of car yeah. I had a Volkswagen Rabbit that uh, now this is funny I, I learned to drive on a 77 Firebird okay and loved it And just was, I thought, sure, I was going to get that car. So my dad went out and bought my mom a car to replace the 77 Firebird. So what does that tell you? (laughs) I'm getting it, right? All right, right. No, she got got some car. I think she got like a a Nova or something. And then uh, he sold the 77 Firebird and and bought my first car, which was a a 1980 Volkswagen Rabbit.
0: My first car was a 1984 Dodge Omni. Really? Yeah. I was a winner with an AM radio. <laughs> <you> yes. <laughs> um, did you ever wreck it? Oh God! I about took out half a neighborhood.
2: What was? The, how long did you own the car or drive the car before you wrecked it?
0: So that's a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I didn't have a driver's license until I was 19. Right. Um, and I went into the military and I was an M60 A3, I was, it was a 19 Echo m sixty A3. I forgot A3 you were sorry. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't long, but, but uh, um, and I went in there and didn't have a driver's license. I was like, okay, we're gonna have this on. driving a tank and he had not even right. got a license to sell a car. <laughs> so I, I don't know what happened. I don't know whether I took a test or whether they just gave me one or something, but uh, I went home on the holidays and I, I went to the, uh, to the DMV uh, or DMZ or whatever the hell it's called, DMV, and uh, to get my driver's license because I didn't know where to go take it. I didn't know right. what to, what to do. I had somebody drop me off there, and I literally went in there and said, "Hey, I need to get my driver's license." And they said, "Okay, where's your uh, what's your where's your other information?" And I pulled out something to do with my military, and I gave it to them, and they just took my picture and gave me a driver's license. And to this day, I've never had a test. you were kidding me. Written or driven? No. Wow. No, never. And I I literally uh, the very first vehicle I ever owned. I believe was at the end of '89 or the middle of '89 or the summer of '89 or something like that, and um, uh, and I I drove it off the lot and that was the first time I ever really drove.
2: That's hilarious.
0: That's a wasn't great that story. hilarious because I think <laughs> I went through I think I went through like three cars in right. a year. I mean, wow. it literally, like, it was terrible. It might, I might ended up having to pay, like, $185 a month for just liability. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for all you boys and girls out there, uh, at 16, 15, 16, you better start learning how to drive a car and go through the proper channels to do it. Oh, uh, Honky Tonk Hitman Way is not the smart way. Yeah, I can um, bite you. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> it is. stupid story. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, so you were 16 years old and you started playing the guitar. What was the first song you played? Um, the
2: first one I th- I think I learned was um, uh, "Heartbreaker" by Led Zeppelin. No and way. I, Yeah, and I picked it out by ear because my um, one of my teachers at high in high school um, she gave me to borrow. She gave me uh, she would see me drawing stuff stuff about music and stuff, and and she gave me a stack of records that tall that were. Um, ACDC, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. And so uh, um, I listened to them and and I didn't know anything about them. I mean, I grew up listening to straight country. My parents listened to Haggard and you know, uh, Waylon Jennings and Conway Twitty, and you weren't having any of it. No, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, hell no. It's like this is something different. I can't right. get laid to Haggard. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. <laughs> Not unless you're Haggard. Exactly. I think I think he's done v- pretty well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I put this record on, and I sat there, and I, I was kind of close in tune, and, and um, I picked it out, and. Uh, that's the first thing I played for the for the guy that gave me guitar lessons. The guy name was his name was Dean Musser. we uh, I took a lesson at a place called Heinz Musicronics in Charlottesville, Virginia, and it was about a thirty five to forty minute drive there, um, so it was it was an ordeal getting there and back, you know. But I played that first that for I mean I was kind of proud of it, mm-hmm. and then he proceeded to tell me how to really play it. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I mean it, it was a good thing. I mean he wasn't you know I mean I was just like. Oh, it just kind of lit up, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know. I mean, there's a difference between hearing, like, the, the, a minor third or, or the major third or whatever. And, you know, you, it's a record, so it's not like these days you can, digital formats, you You're can right. stop, they got things, you can slow it down, you've got all kind. Of, I mean, you heard it one time and stopped it and tried to pick it out, and and that's how it was. You had the gift. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: (laughs) I've worked with with some of the most talented guitar players in town, and you're at the top of the list. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, but, but, you know, there's a lot of people that can play guitar very well, Uh, but to do it the way that you do it, you have to have a gift. You know, it's a gift that you recognize when you're very young, and you just continue to nurture that gift, and, and you know as you go as you go older as you get older, and you did that. Well, so. Yeah, I, you know and I think
2: I think a lot of this has to do with you know I was really influenced by my dad and my dad's side of the family who all played you know, and my dad was also you know always very encouraging, um, you know about you know plan and you know which is which is which is odd. I think it's because something he always wanted to do but never got a chance to do. You know? Really? So yeah. you think that he
0: kind of lived vicariously through yeah, you?
2: Yeah, I think so. And he would, you know, he would come to as many when I was playing the local bands in Charlottesville. He, him and Mom would come out to the VFW, the Eagles Lodge, or whatever it was, you know. And they just they had a they had a blast, and he just thought it was the greatest
0: thing in the world. So, now when you were playing those those VFWs and stuff, did you ever play country music or? Did yeah, you it was like all country them? music. I mean basically um so you're you're leaving out a step here so
2: I maybe, am leaving maybe, out a big step yeah. okay all right we'll we'll go back a little bit now i the first thing i mean i got into wanting to play oh let me go back a little bit more the the song that made me really want to play electric guitar believe it or not was uh, Money for nothing by Dire Straits. Uh-huh. Just that intro. Chicks for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: like,
2: Wait a minute. It's a cool intro. And what he's saying we get. The, the we all this get stuff. free
1: chicks,
0: man. <laughs> free chicks. I gotta play this damn thing.
2: <laughs> so, so I definitely started out from the standpoint of wanting to play from a rock mentality. But what happened was, you know, my dad, you know, loved to love country music. I mean, he would. Uh, he would he would take uh, at, that, at that those point at that point in time it was you bought the forty five or you bought the LP right he would and and cassettes were around but you didn't buy the cassette you bought the record <laughs> but what he would do is he would take a forty five and then we would he would take a cassette and he would record like you know Alabama she and I over and over and over on the... See, because you couldn't repeat. Right. I was like, okay, let's listen to it. <laughs> you know, so we would... I mean, I would literally be going through the house listening to the same Alabama song all the time. So it was kind of a love-hate relationship with country music because that's all that they played at my house. And then I would just play whatever I could, you know, when it was, you know, up to me. But the missing link is this. When I was taking guitar lessons, um, I wanted to play a lot of rock stuff. And then... um you know, I was getting into Van Halen and a lot of this crazy, you know, whatever. And um, the, uh, dean at the time said, "Man, check this out." And he gave me a cassette, and one side was Jerry Reed, on the other side was Jed Atkins. And he said oh, so nothing how to me. Just pickers. Yeah, um, yeah, he said nothing to me about it. I said, "Man, just check it out and tell me what you think." So, I went once a week to my guitar lesson. So I think it was Tuesday night. He gave it to me. I listened to it on the way home. I listened to it all weekend. I'm just sitting here going man this is really cool it's, it's cool stuff but I mean how many guitar players are doing this I mean it's you know <laughs> and then then so I would, I would I went back the next week and I said man this is really good but I mean I mean how do you how do you figure out which guitar is playing what and he said that's just one guy I was like what so then I started to figure out that what a good what, uh, what what talent actually lied in country guitar? Mm-hmm. That you know, regardless of people that don't know it or never been exposed to it, even to this day, you know, they don't realize how much actually it goes into it, and it's it's an art. I mean, it's it's certainly an art. You have somebody like Jerry Reed or Chet Atkins or Merle Travis, way back in the day, they were they sounded like two guys or three guys playing at one time because they tried to mimic it, you know. So I got into that, so I started listening to some of that stuff. Then I got into playing, uh, you know, I I fell in love with, you know, the stuff that Haggard was, uh, whatever guitar player he had at the time, because he had multiple ones. Mm -hmm. So I started listening, like, uh, learning Roy Nichols stuff and and stuff like that. And then I started doing both. So basically I would have a rock band that I did because I wanted to do it, Mm -hmm. and then I had a country band that I would play to make money.
0: Oh, wow. So, okay, so you did you you played country for money, but you still did it for the chicks for free. Exactly, I had the <laughs> best of both worlds.
2: <laughs> it's it's I mean, it's it's so funny the differences in the places that we played to because we had, um, we had, like I said, the VFW is the Eagles Lodge, and I would do that uh, on a Friday and Saturday. And maybe we'd play the same place twice, but that Thursday right before I was playing at Biker Bar. You know where there' was, like drug deals going on outside and fights and all this other stuff so I saw a lot of I saw a lot of both worlds. I saw you know the just the, the 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 just rough and tumble bar situations on to like, hey, you know what we just we're a bunch of uh you know older people wanting to dance and have a good time like at a moose lodge sure but uh i got, I, I have some funny stories about my funniest stories come from the bars though. <laughs> Um, they all do. Yeah, and this was great. I was playing in this rock band, and um, I was the second guitar player, and they were all older than me. But the, you know, I just wanted to play rock. But they were probably like, I was I was 19 or 20, probably 19, and they had an existing rock band. Okay. And they would play stuff like The Colt, and they would play like Zeppelin, and they would play, you know, uh, stuff like that. And you know, I love that. And I, I got into that because I was working um, for my brother in law. Uh, at at uh, uh, HVAC, and I helped make and install heating duct. Okay. So, which is great for my hands because I got cut every day. I'm uh, a guitar hero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you any good at it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm awful at it. If, if Once you go past the uh, the um, the three colors, I'm naked. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. I'm out. <laughs> so so this Thursday night, I was playing this biker bar and I was playing with this rock band and we started playing uh, some, you know, Steve Ray Vaughn stuff or something like that and I was the second guitar player and I loved it. I mean, I wanted to be in the limelight and I wanted to come up and play. This guy... I was good but he would let me have some spotlights every once in a while so we are playing this blues song and um he told me to come up and play and uh you know what I should go back in time let's go to my high school talent show cause these two stories run together
0: Marty get the car <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so um I had a band a rock band in high school with my best friend Brandon Collier was, who was not related to me we had the same last name um that you know of that, well it could be I mean maybe we've been back for enough but, uh, so we had we, we worked up this deal where we played uh, Metallica ACDC and um, a Poison song and not remember. we just made a medley of the three to play for
0: I was waiting for Iron Maiden and you well, said Poison and Metallica that was kind of a- for free okay
2: <laughs> now you can get you know you can, you can get chicks from Metallica but that time no um, very So we're playing and this is one of the the defining moments that made me think as a kid um, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Okay. So we're playing and I'm I'm starting out with uh, um, Jumping to the Fire I think was a Metallica song and then we played um, then we played Dirty Deeds Dunder Cheap and who really cares about the Poison huh? um, song <laughs> but we went into it and I'm sitting there and I got my eyes closed right and I'm just concentrating I'm trying to look cool at the same time and all this stuff and uh, um, then we get to we get to uh, Dirty Deeds Dunder Cheap we're doing it and, and it comes to the guitar solo and I'm like all right, I step up to the front of the stage, I start playing the guitar solo, and everybody 's going crazy i 'm hearing I got my eyes closed i 'm pretty sure I got a pretty good po- pose going on I probably don 't, but I probably look like this, <laughs> but because uh, that 's usually what I look like now <laughs> but um, so the crowd's going crazy, and i 'm like man this is this is this is it this is what I want to do I, I can I can turn. 80 years old and, and still be doing this. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. So I look up because my best friend was playing bass in the band, and I'm like, that was branded. And I'm like, man, this is great. And I look over to my best friend because we were gonna we were gonna take over the rock world. We were writing songs and rock bands. We were just we had all this stuff. We were teenagers. And I look over at him to kind of give him a nod and say, yeah, this is going on, this is, this is happening. And he's got the bass behind his head, playing one note, boom, 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 <laughs> boom, 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 One open string at that, not even really fretting anything. doing. And they were screaming for him, no! <laughs> not me. <laughs> so I just went, shit. <laughs> he will <laughs> black you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It so began my hatred for baseball. No. Uh, <laughs> so fast forward to the Thursday night at this bar that I think was called the Outback Lodge. No, yeah, Outback Lodge is what it's was called. Um, so it's my moment in the sun, right? So I'm walking up, and uh, I got my eyes closed again. I'm like, you know, the crowd starts going wild. And I'm just, I'm just wailing, and I'm sure it sounded mediocre at best. But in my mind, I was really doing it. And it was great. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna look up. I got my, like I said, I've got my eyes closed. I'm going to look up, and I want to see everything that's going on in front of me because I want to see everybody yelling at me. Like, sure. I remember consciously thinking this, and I even paused playing for a second, and I looked up because I wanted to see the crowd going crazy when I was playing. There was two guys literally three feet in front of the stage. Everybody had backed up, and they were going, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> They were fighting, <laughs> you know, two feet in front. That's what they were cheering for. They were just let. I mean, the, the bar was just let them, you know, go at it. And it I was, bet you it, don't close your
0: eyes. Today.
2: No, no, because I'm scared. What might happen? Damn it! No. But so I went, I literally went from bars uh, that that had fights that would broke out and they let, them, they let them go at it for a little while to play a moose lodge. Well, yeah,
0: because it lets the bouncers, it makes it easier for the bouncers to get them out of it. Yeah, they are wore out a little bit. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That way nobody gets hurt. Wear them down, get them out. Yeah, and,
2: and everybody was smart enough to take a little step back and, you know, it was all good. But th- those are my, my um, I call them my deflation stories.
0: So how old were you when these things were taking place?
2: I, was, I think I was 17 from my high school Uh, talent show and I was uh, I think I was 19 or 20 for that bar thing so, really? So you yeah. started
0: playing bars before you were even old enough to drink? I wasn't even. I did the yeah. same thing. Yeah, yeah. I
2: wasn't. I, they had to basically clear it and do all that stuff. And some of the bars didn't care. I mean, like that particular yeah. bar, as long as I wasn't drinking, they didn't care. Right. And, and I guess they didn't really police it like they do now, you know? Right. But uh,
0: but yeah, uh, it's a different world back then. You yeah, really totally could. different. Yeah. I, mean, I was 18 years old and I was going into bars and ordering beer. I mean, I'll tell you this: uh, w- when I first started playing. Uh, and playing in Louisiana a lot, mm-hmm. this was in the early 90s, 91, 92, so I was in my early 20s, you could drink until, uh, the drinking age was 18. Right, I remember that. Yeah, and that didn't change until like 93 or something like
2: the, that? Uh, the, uh, Virginia was one of the first states to change it to 21. Okay. Um, and we were at 21, and then we would take um, high school trips to D.C., <laughs> actually for for the school trip sure and uh and the drinking age was not was still 18 then so obviously you knew what happened when we you know went on our school trips to, to DC but uh, but then we'd go back and obviously it was you know, 20 so we, we couldn't drink in Virginia but in DC it was still 18 so um I didn't do it but all my friends were like buying beer I was scared to death I was going to get caught because we had to get back on the bus to go back to the yeah and now I look back at it I'm like yeah, alcohol smells. There's no way you can't you can drink a beer and your teacher doesn't know that you drink a beer. Right, you know? right. So, but I, I do remember that, and that was the cusp of um, it turning 21 or 18 or whatever. You sure, know? So, sure. but um, so what did you
0: do after you graduated high school?
2: I uh, um, first thing I did was I tried to go to college. Uh, I went to community college for one semester. My parents made me pay for it. Where'd you go? Um, Piedmont Community College. Okay. Uh, which was in Charlottesville. And I, I was going for some English thing or whatever, and I, I got okay grades. I mean, I did fine with it. I just hated it. Really? You know, I, I mean, I was just going... I was actually making money playing guitar. Why am I paying to go to do this when I'm already making money? Right, you know? right. Um, now, that, that logic didn't work out so well in my mid-20s, but... Uh, <laughs> but at the time I mean I could totally rationalize it and mom, mom or dad were were, they were like you have to you have to uh, you know you have to get a job or go to school so I decided to go to school went to school didn't like it so I got a job so I basically did the uh, I played in bands and also did the um, um, the HVAC the duck work stuff
0: so then yeah, so. when did you make the, the, the decision to move to Nashville when I was
2: yeah. uh, I, I started moving uh, visiting when I was 22 to 23 years old and uh, within a year, I was, I was in Nashville, about 24.
0: What year did you come here? 95?
2: 94, 95, yeah, 95. Okay. Yeah, so I moved in, I believe, March or April of 95.
0: So when did you and I start playing together? It
2: had to be... 97? Yeah, I'd say about two years after that, because yeah. um, it took a while, and we have a mutual friend, Larry McCoy. That is how we met. Right. And then there was basically me, you, Rich, and Larry.
0: And Do you remember the name of the band? If you don't, but I, I, Larry and I laughed and laughed about this because. I'll, so I'm gonna go ahead. And I'm gonna let you see if you can stew about a little bit. All right. So we we were we were sitting on the
2: stage. It was four
0: of us. Who was the who was the drummer?
2: Uh, sometimes it was Mark Beckett. It was most of the time it was Mark Beckett. Okay. Um, I think. Okay. Um, and then it was a blonde guy too. Yeah, they had they had like long hair. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um. I don't remember his name. I don't. So
0: we, we would play this place uh, in, on Broadway in Nashville. Um, and the gig, the way the gig first started out, it was me and Larry McCoy uh, playing acoustic guitar and singing. Uh, and we, it was on a Sunday, if yep. I remember correctly, the way it started. And and it Sunday was, morning, was yeah, it? Yeah, Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was from 10 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And we would literally watch people go from hymns to haggard and, and going from biscuits to beer. I mean, and I know it, it sounds like a country song because it is.
2: Yeah, but, it is, yeah. Uh, but it's also true. It, it is I mean, true. I mean. It is
0: true. Yeah, we would, we would literally watch them go from biscuits to PBR. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it was just the craziest thing in the whole world. And it, went, it just kind of escalated from that, and then we started playing nights and stuff. And I joke because it used to always say, home of BR549. Right. You remember that? Yeah. And then on the wall, there was a, uh, a plaque or something, and it said... Um, uh, Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, or, or Tootsie's, uh, Orchid Lounge uh, Three Doors Down. And I said, I got the name for our band. Yeah. We're going to call ourselves <laughs> Three Doors Down so that we can say our names up on the wall, exactly. too. And Larry McCoy looked at me and goes, that's the dumbest fucking name I've ever heard. He goes, nobody's... And we literally went by Three Doors Down. It's even it? got an uh, article in the paper that's hanging on the really? office. Yes, I have it in that's my... Awesome. Uh, just is talking about being a boxer and ah. being a country music singer and talking about our band, Three Doors Down, playing. it. This was 97, before yeah. there was a Three Doors Down. Yeah,
2: exactly. There was no rock band at the there time. There was no
0: rock band at the so time. It's, we had the
2: name first. Yeah. We should have copyrighted it. Maybe
0: we can sue him. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I love Three Doors Down. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, but do you... Okay, so the funny part is, he said that would never work, and... Then when 3 doors down did come out, do you remember what we ended up changing the name of the band to? Now this one is also I have such a bad memory. This is also a a a good one.
2: Okay, start the story and maybe I'll get it from
0: but Larry McCoy had the great idea because I was a professional boxer called the Honky Tonk Hitman. We right. called ourselves Music City Mafia. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was literally—it was literally what about five or six years after that the music mafia blew up everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were just ahead of our time.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we can claim that. That's.
0: What, <laughs> yeah. One,
2: one of my favorite stories to tell about you when we were playing down in, uh, and a lot of people that don't that have not actually gigged on Broadway, and I, 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 from what I understand, it's even more difficult now—parking, and unloading, and stuff like that. We always had an issue unloading where we were gonna park or because you know, we'd play for tips and yep. you know, if we had to pay a little bit to park, it took money out of our pockets. Yep. You know, so we wanted to have a reason to go down there other than the fact that we'd love to do it. But you would you, one night one this was this was an afternoon. This is when I think we were playing uh, that same bar in the afternoon and we were playing and you kept looking out the door and I, I really had no idea what you, were, what you were looking at. I had no idea what I, you had illegally parked on the street. <laughs> you kept watching to see if you were going to get a ticket.
0: What? <laughs> Dude, there's nothing worse in the world than to, to work your ass off singing your butt off for yeah. nothing and then you, you end up getting paid you know 50, 60 dollars yeah. for singing for four hours mm-hmm. playing for four hours and then yeah. you go out there and find out you've been towed yeah. and it costs exactly. you
2: more to do the gig than it did to you know and that and that's such a that's a, such a standard story though I mean it's just like how many everybody everybody that, you know at least that I know of that have been doing it as long as we have has that story yes. and I remember the cop actually. She went up to your your car and you basically threw your guitar down in the middle of a song and <laughs> ran out there. I don't know if you remember that or not. Did I get the ticket? You still got the ticket. <laughs> oh damn <laughs> Damn You were you were pissed when you got back. Oh you my
0: like, God. Oh. <laughs> Gosh. Well at least I didn't get towed though.
2: You did not get to. I think they they gave you a ticket and basically let you just stay there till we were done playing. But
0: so it cost me twice as much to park there. I still didn't beat the exactly. system. Exactly. See, yeah. see, me always trying to beat the system. <laughs> never gonna happen. Dude, I
2: remember. I see, and if I remember correctly, I was next to the door. That's where I always sat up. So you walked in this 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 club, and then there was me. That's you were basically in the center. Larry and and um um and Rich were kind of in the corner over there. And uh, Well, Larry's kind of up front, and I think Rich was behind him. But you were just looking over all the time, and I just couldn't figure out why you kept looking out. Because you were looking <laughs> past me, and I was like, are you trying to tell me then I finally figured out what it was after, after yeah, it all happened. But,
0: those were some crazy times. I mean, it yeah. was crazy. I mean, Larry, I mean, uh, he would, after that I think he went on and played with, uh, who was that? Um,
2: was it Ray, Ray Stevens? Stevens. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Ray yeah, Stevens. Yeah, he did a little Branson thing for a while, and... Um, uh, I think he lived there for a while I mean I don't think he like resided or, or moved to st- I think he stayed there for um, a little bit Mark's still playing drums because I saw him at the, uh, the Opry not too long ago he does that he's also just finished playing with uh, Olivia Newton-John I think they just finished a tour
0: I was in love with everyone when yeah. I was a kid
2: who wasn't right yeah. so, um, and what happened to Rich Lloyd Rich is now in Texas and he is uh, uh, basically moved back where he's from and he uh, he belongs to this for lack of a better term an organization of musicians that if whenever you want to work they got work for you. He he probably makes more money than I do playing in local places down there and uh Damn. because I mean because he's uh he's he's a phenomenal singer. Yes, and, he is. Um and then he can play bass, he plays electric guitar and I think he plays all electric guitar now and I think he plays drums too. Does he really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So.
0: Cuz as a matter of fact, the reason I say that is I played with him uh, I believe this is the right I believe it was Rich anyway it was Portland Tennessee and um, every single member of the band took turn in the same song took turns. Right. turns oh, really? t- getting on every single instrument wow that's like, crazy and I was the only one that was like yeah I can barely play what I got in my hands so leave me there so, <laughs> do not put
2: me behind the door do arms, that would have been bad but, so, but I'll see him in a couple months i see him maybe uh, once or twice a year and when we, we gig down in Texas um he lives in the dallas area so we'll just we'll meet for he'll come out and and kind of uh suffer through sound check with me and then, and then we'll go you know have a few drinks and um i go somewhere to eat lunch and come back and play but he's always got a gig so we only get to see each other and sometimes he'll come afterwards if we're staying for a while he'll come and hang out afterwards or whatever so cool. but uh but yeah i think i'll see him in april we've already kind of made up uh well, the schedule. He basically keeps an eye on the schedule, and so if, 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 if I see Dallas on there, mm-hmm. I just shoot him a text or call. And I bet you. Love, I used to
0: love playing Dallas. Dallas
2: is great. It's it's it's, yeah. It just it that it just never changes. It's I mean like that's one of the
0: country barbies everywhere.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and it's it, that that little touristy area like where Billy Bob's is and stuff like yeah. that is just you know it's that's if that's one of the places that you play to really realize what country music and where all the rootsy stuff comes from because it hasn't it's been it's been like that since I can remember
0: Texas is like a world of its own when it comes to music yep. I mean uh, it, it's it's absolutely uh, essential to country music I if you want to know what's cool in Nashville uh, in five years, go to Texas now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, ex- you're
2: actually right. It's yeah. that cool. I just think about the the good stuff that I'm not. I'm not a fan of all Texas music, but when it's good, it's good. Hell yeah. You know, and they've they've. Uh, I mean, you listen to a lot of the stuff that was going on five years from now. I mean, probably five years ago, it is happening now. Right, know? right. So, but it's. I mean, I, I I try to keep in touch with with everybody. I, I don't get to talk to Larry. That much because I'm I'm gone so like He's very busy now too because hit you know,
0: songwriter had a number one. Yeah, with which Red is Adkins.
2: phenomenal. I'm just I'm I'm glad to uh, I'm glad it it worked out for him because uh, he, he's we both know he's a group, you know phenomenal God. singer and writer. Yeah,
0: and um, you, you never got into singing.
2: Because I can't. <laughs> so, you really, now did somebody tell you you couldn't, or you really can't? I really think I sound awful. <laughs> so,
0: right, I know. I mean, so I, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're just starting and trying mm-hmm. to learn, nobody's going to be just great out of the box unless you're Whitney Houston. I
2: mean, yeah, and I think it was one of those things that um, if I had, if maybe in my 20s I had done it, um, I, I'd still be doing it, but I always got hired to play. You right. know, and and that's a lucky thing, right? Because most people, a lot of people, are hired because they do multiple things. And mm-hmm. I've I've been real lucky to be hired just to play guitar or or guitarist, fan leader, or whatever. So right as right. worked out, and, and like I said, I'm real lucky that that's so, happened So
0: so speaking of that, how how did it happen? How did how did you how did you get together with Chris Young?
2: I it uh, basically goes back to years ago um, when we were playing together and kind of on up through the late '90s. Um, you know, there are lots of publishing companies. There are lots of demos being done. And my idea was to be a studio player. That's what I wanted. Really? Yeah. And uh, and, and I didn't want. to You Still try. can do that. Yeah. It's 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 just. Uh, um, uh, you, it, it, you, you go. I mean, there's there's no there, there's no real defining line so much anymore. You know, it's like some bands they'll play in the studio with their artists, or some guys still just do only only you know studio work or, or whatever. But. I was doing studio It did used to, the, to be
0: that way. It's kind of like actors. They either played movies or television, but they didn't do both. Now exactly, they do both. Now, now, now do in both. music, like, you the yeah, same P-
2: way. Paisley's band plays on his record right, and so right. forth. But So basically, um, I was told, I, I got offered to play on the road numerous times. And then um, that, that part of the, the independent publishing company thing started to die. Mm-hmm so there weren't demos. There weren't things that I could do and, and not that I was, not that I was like raking in a bunch of cash doing demos but I was working and it was, I could see a future. Right. Like, okay, I'm kind of headed down the path I want to go and when, when those publishing houses closed down and, and it was one of the, it was kind of a slump for, for country music but, um, uh, then uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have work and Rich Rich was playing Rich Lloyd had uh, Glenn Campbell he was on
0: Glenn Campbell's publishing company yeah
2: he was yeah and he was actually giving me some some of the demos I was doing oh okay he a, uh, but he had played for Na- the, the show National Star um, he was the bass player John? for the for the John the Bollinger with John okay and uh, so then after that um, a guy named Buddy Jewell won the show and then the National Star band accompanied Buddy on the, on the road <gasps> Now, what happened was John Bollinger went back to do the the next season of uh, National Star, and uh, Rich called me up and said, hey, we're auditioning guitar players. I know that you don't want to go on the road, but, you know, hey, I I just, I'd feel bad if I didn't, if I didn't, you know, offer it to you. And I was like, no, man, you know what? It sounds, I I think I'll try it. Mm -hmm. So I auditioned, and um, we had to play three or four songs, and I'd never picked up. He said, the only problem is you've got to play mandolin on one song. And I was like, I've never touched a mandolin before in my life. I have no idea. And, uh, and long story short, basically, he gave me the song that had mandolin on it. I went and bought a mandolin and just tried so hard to learn to play that thing. And audition, I, I think I played three or four songs, one of which was the mandolin song, and uh, got the gig. And that's basically where it started, where I started playing with artists you know and I don't have a long list of guys that I've played with I mean if you count everybody you've ever played with it could be a long list but I'm but like actual employment with those people you know it it, it's it's not too because I'm I pretty much stay with this as long as it's a good gig I'll stay with it right right but I got the buddy jewel gig and we did that for a couple years then um uh and then I went on to uh Buddy was slow and that's when I first met Chris he had won the third or fourth season of Natural Star—I can't remember—it was like 2005, 2006—and he, uh, he, he, he had—and I didn't—I had no idea who it was mm-hmm. at, at all because um, I didn't—I didn't watch the show. Uh, a mutual friend of of, uh, of someone that worked at Sony, and um, and in mine, we actually were playing with Buddy at the time. He 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 kind of tour managed and played guitar in the band along with me, and he said uh, uh, he had left. But he said, man, um, you know, Chris Young needs a uh, got to play acoustic for a radio tour. And he said, um, can, you, can you do that? And then and I said, yeah, I'll do it, because uh, Buddy was slow, mm-hmm. and that led to that. But I, I remember showing up at the airport, and hit the, his name was Scott Welch, uh, who is, he owns Roadload Cases right now, by the way. I mean, not, has always owned it. But, uh, but that's where he ended up going. He's like a huge, you know, road case manufacturer now. But... Um, but I remember calling him up on the phone, getting my ticket, going in. I'm sitting there at the gate, going, "Hey, Scott, what's this? What's this guy look like?" <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had not even met him until the day that we flew to do a gig. Oh. So, but he had broken his finger throwing football with a buddy, mm-hmm. so he couldn't really. He he could still play a little bit, mm-hmm. but he couldn't just really. He couldn't do a whole lot. So that's how I got the gig. So, um, um, so I played with him for a while, and. Um, and then he kind of slowed down. I played with a guy with Phil St- I named Phil Stacy, who was an American Idol for a couple years. And then Chris needed a guitar player back because his guitar player was getting married and called me to fill in. And I was like, yeah, I'll fill in. You know, you don't get your gig back. Right. That doesn't usually happen. Right. So I said, like, no, that's cool, man. Uh, I'll, I'll fill in for you. And you find somebody you want, then, you know, it's no big deal. I, I kind of get, I, I get the game. I understand how it goes. And I just never left. they're still looking they're still looking it's very possible he's still looking through the (laughs) classifieds how many years later is that yeah well that was 2009 when I came back so yeah so now we're 2016 yeah I'm not good at math but if those of you that can count do
0: it (laughs) (laughs) so you said something funny you were talking about you know went and bought a land and then do you remember a gig we were playing down on Broadway uh, this is back when they had um, pawn shops still there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. and, and we didn't have a bass player that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, Rich knew he could play bass, but he didn't own one. So I went at the pawn shop and bought That's and right. it. That's
2: right. Yeah. And you know what he did? Because everything was a five-string bass part of uh-huh. the stuff that we were doing, he took... He wired it, uh, strung it up like a like a five-string bass but left the top string off so it was a four-string bass but on the bottom it was a five-string bass so he still had that low B. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah,
2: so I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, he played that bass for a long time, dude. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously when he, when I think he did the, uh, the TV thing or whatever, I think he got an ESP deal or something like that but I think he, I think he played that bass for a long time. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so he started funny. his bass playing group. No,
0: nah, he he, uh, he he started that. I I, I just helped. Um, <laughs> uh, and then there was another time that I really jumps out in my mind is uh, I'll never forget. So we had a Heckler in the crowd. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember what happened?
2: Yeah, oh, you can't
0: say that. You gotta
2: remember what. Happened. I'm trying to remember. I, I think I remember. How, now I'll say it. So, so that so it's not like you reminded me and I. Okay, know. sure. But basically, I mean, didn't you kind of come off stage? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm remember on that. I
0: literally put my guitar down. Yeah. And and now uh, put,
2: put your guitar down is, very loosely <laughs> phrased. <laughs> I've seen your guitar go down, uh, not put down <laughs> twice. Once was because the cop was at your car, and the second time was because of the
0: heckler. Well, you know, hey, <laughs> use what you gotta use. <laughs> Speaking of which, we are in the middle, and the reason uh, you're hearing what you're hearing right now is we are in the middle of a mixed martial arts uh, studio. Is this part of your ownership, you own part? No, of
2: No, I actually, uh, Jason just hosts what I do here, uh-huh. and because uh, you know he believes in it, and it is, and he wants it to grow, and he wants the gym to grow, and so. Um, what I basically do is, uh, when when th- something works out for me, I throw some money his way, and he okay. basically lets lets me host whatever I want to do here, just because it's a great place and he's a great guy. And it's the gym is called the Academy, by the way,
0: Yeah, and it's in Goodlitzville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell uh, Miller'sville actually. We just
2: okay. moved from we l- literally it seems like Goodlitzville. Okay, we moved two miles down the road, basically.
0: Tell the listeners the uh, the address though, so that if they want to learn mixed martial arts and they're around the surrounding area. Uh, then they can, too, uh, they can come by here, drop by here, do whatever they got to do, sign up, line up,
2: do whatever they got exactly. to do. Exactly. The, the address is 1214 Louisville Highway, uh, Millersville, um, 37072. Just to let you guys know, I'm actually reading it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, what we do here and what, what Jason does is. Uh, um, and we, hit, you know, if somebody does want to fight or they want to do that, then then we of course can host that. But we we train in various things. Jason's thing is is um, um, is Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which you witnessed when you came in, um, and then and then you know he does some striking stuff. But what I do and another guy named uh, Chuck Locke, what we do is uh, we do striking and we do close quarter combat and stuff like that. But um, so the the it's not necessarily a mixed martial arts gym, okay. but by the term of mixed martial arts, it's mixed martial arts if that makes sense. Because mixed martial arts has turned into a sport of, of, uh, of identity if sure. that makes sense. I mean, I'm mean, i not saying it's a sport and it's not a, a, or any derogatory term. I'm saying people have a direct mentality and a picture of what mixed martial arts is because of the UFC. Right. Which is accurate, which is very accurate and it's, it's a great sport.
0: Well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, I have a... a a very, uh, I'm very impressed with jujitsu. Mm. Um, I think it's uh, you know I get I get questioned all the time. Do you think a boxer can beat a wrestler? Do you think a uh, you know a boxer can beat a whatever? Right. And and my question my, my answer is always the same thing. Depends on what they're doing.
2: Exactly, and depends you know? on the boxer. Depends Dep- on the wrestler. Right. You know? Dep- it you, you
0: know it, it just depends on who's if they're if they're doing jujitsu the odds are it's going to be in the jiu-jitsu guy's favor. Right. If They're just doing striking. Its the odds are it's going to be in the boxer's favor. Exactly. heavily and, yeah. and in the UFC, it, it's uh, you know it's you got to be a little rounded at all of it. Um, as a matter of fact, the guy that I fought, uh, I fought a guy that fought in the very first UFC, Art Jimerson. Uh, he right. was a professional wow. fighter. And uh, he fought in it. And the first, first guy he ever fought uh, was Hoyce Gracie. Wow! And Hoyce Gracie, he—I don't know if you ever saw. Have you ever seen the first UFC? Yeah, yeah. I, He's I, the guy I, wearing one boxing glove. Yeah. Ah, that's that's yeah, that's funny. And I I, and I, I fought him. That. Yeah, I fought him yeah. for the WBF uh, Cruiserweight Championship. Right. Yeah. Wow. But he wore two gloves that day. He did wear two gloves. <laughs> Thank goodness. I was I was I was a little hesitant and I made sure that that was in the contract you know uh, but but yeah he was he was a, a fantastic guy um, but he we, we sat down um, after the fight was all over and everything and we were talking about that experience that he had and he right. said you know as a fighter when UFC was brought together mixed martial arts the, the whole term mixed martial arts and the whole idea of it yeah. all wasn't really on anybody's mind this was in no. 1993 I believe yeah. or something like that or four or something like that anyway he um and he said i looked at this guy you know he's about six foot tall weighed about 175 180 pounds he said i just i thought i'm fixing to walk through this guy like mm-hmm. a, a hot knife to butter and uh and that it's obviously not what happened. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think
2: a lot of people had the same same thought. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, regardless of what they did. But, but you know, the thing is, uh, at the time, and, um, and uh, obviously this this comment is a credit to it, uh, no one had seen that before. Oh, nobody right. had seen what's, right. what's, what uh, what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. Right. You know, and, and now it's the standard. When people say Jiu-Jitsu, they think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's, there's many types of Jiu-Jitsu. Now, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, so Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is basically, um, uh, it, it's, it's the evolution of jiu jitsu um the where where it, it uh was was formed and learned in brazil and then and then they basically the gracies made uh, made it famous and 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 they tweaked it and they did stuff and they and they made uh uh they do classic jujitsu moves and and stuff like that, and turn it into, into their own thing. So they Bruce lee it. They Bruce lee it exactly. That's 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 a great term, and uh, and that that's what we see today. We see we see an evolution of where it started right there, and that's a great credit to them, you know. And uh, to I think they are are probably I would say probably um, the only people in the last twenty years that have actually created an actual. Martial art of its own. It's not a culmination of. When you talk about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it is that. Right. You know. Um, but but yeah, there's there's all kinds of different types of Jiu-Jitsu, and because uh, you know that's a term, and I, I think it's like soft art or something. I can't even remember what it is. But uh, but yeah, there's there's many types, but that but that's that's the staple across the world now. That's what people consider jujitsu as. So how so. how
0: old were you when you started dabbling into this? I you was know. I was I
2: got into striking and and stuff like that in my late twenties, and I always always loved it. And I'd have a bag or something in the basement or you know whatever, and, and just mess around. But I just yeah, at some point I got into uh, traditional uh, martial arts. Um, and got into it and, and loved it and did it for a couple of years. Got my, I got up to, uh, 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 I was about to get my third black belt. Um, and I just got to the point where I, uh, you know, I started to want to branch out to different things. But that's where it started. It started in the traditional martial arts. And, so
0: now I'm completely and utterly baffled. Oh, uh, Ed? But well, because you started so young uh, and you used to come out to my fights. And yeah, you play yeah. with me in bands and stuff, and you never once went out and worked out with me or sparred with me or anything. I I, I
2: didn't. I honestly, I just did. I, I I didn't talk about it. You know what? And The funny thing is, is most people that that know me now know I do it, but, yeah. but a lot of people didn't know. I, I've done it. I've done it for so long that you know that you, I just I, don't believe I just you trained. Said anything. Yeah, I just trained. I was just I, my 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 mentality for the whole thing was to learn and to to. To, as Bruce Lee said, fill an empty cup. You empty your cup, and you. Sure. I wanted to learn and soak all this stuff. And I didn't have any. I didn't. I, I. didn't have any. Um, any inspiration for anybody to pat me on the back or or wanted to. I just. I wanted to learn. It was right. like, and it was one of those things that that I, I did myself, and you know, enjoyed it, and and. Um, and it turned into you know friends and family and and turned you know uh it turned into a a lifelong thing but but at the time for years i just i just it was my my you know i was trying to be a musician and you know um which has its up and ups and downs and uh, that was my my release that was my you know sure. it was my physical thing that I did you know maybe some people run some people work out some people, sure. but that's what I did and it was a way I could focus on so that's that's why yeah, like, sure. I, I never Makes sense. I never thought of it as anything else other than and it's just so I want to do that and it clears my head and I feel like I'm still learning something I'm not blindly working out I'm not just running around in the park, going. Oh, oh, oh. You know, I'm still getting some physical activity, <laughs> but 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 yeah, I'm actually learning something because I have that. That's my mentality, and it's 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 a, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing, but my mentality is of I'm not learning something that I don't want to do it. I can't do anything just to enjoy it. I'm getting over it now, right, but right. but it took me a while. You know, th- you know, from my mid twenties to probably when I was thirty five. If I didn't think I was learning something, I didn't do it. Really? Yeah. If I didn't think it was, you know, even if it was like reading a book, if it was something I didn't read a book for enjoyment, I read a book because it was filling me in with facts about something, okay. or or whatever. You were but, researching something. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's just how my, my mind worked. And do you don't read the paper back then? No. And they had the paper. Yeah, they
0: didn't have the paper. <laughs> <laughs> they had it on stone. Yeah, uh, you know, now that it dawned on me as soon as I said it, you know, you don't really see many newspapers around No, anymore. you really don't. Uh,
2: but, but that's how I got started, and it just kind of went on on from there. But I went from traditional martial arts and studied a bunch of stuff to where I am today. What's your
0: greatest strength in it?
2: In martial arts? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, variety. I would say okay, uh, to Pick one that If you had to say You know Kind of like your favorite Okay Who's your who's your, who's your favorite or, or greatest influence On yourself And your guitar picking uh, As a country musician
2: uh, Jerry Reed Okay uh, And then A close second Would would be a, a very opposite spectrum Of Freddie King Oh
0: really So
2: it would be Yeah
0: That caught me off guard That was yeah, not what I, I was expecting
2: Yeah I, I, I've been a big Freddie King f- uh, fan For a long time And uh, So v- so, I, I mean, Jerry Reed is probably pretty standard, and I think a lot of people would, would see that. But, yeah, Freddie King is, is if not tied, a close second.
0: That's cool. Now, so, out of that, what would you say would be your greatest influence or your greatest strength to, that has inspired you to do mixed martial arts? Um, you know, uh, because, because
2: I wasn't that guy that, like, idolized something. I wanted to do it, to learn from it. I didn't have somebody to start out with, but eventually it turned into... Um, it wasn't like movie stars, even though I loved you know, sure. these kinds of movies. But, I mean, um, really the people that, that trained me, and, you know, um, I think I think that was the inspiration more than anything. Because, like I said, I didn't idolize somebody. Um, like, obviously, from a boxer, boxer standpoint, there was somebody that you were like,
1: oh, yeah. yeah,
2: that's what I want to emulate. Joe There you go. Exactly. So I ended up going in reverse. I ended up getting skills... And then appreciating that stuff later on, right. if, if if that makes sense. But I'll say now because of what I actually physically do right now, it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly Bruce Lee. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just just because um, what we do now, and I'll kind of go into it a little bit. Um, what we do now is is such a um, it's such a, a a wide spectrum of thought that. Um, and that's what that's he was truly the first mixed martial artist uh, because he would take he would take this technique or that technique and do uh, and say don't do that because that's something that doesn't apply to today. If a boxer comes at you he's gonna eat your lunch <laughs> because you're trying to do this right, right. If a jiu Jitsu guy comes after you or a wrestler or somebody that's a grabber a grappler right right yeah you know, then they're gonna eat your lunch. So, so basically it is like UFC stuff they teach it, you. The, it, yeah. they
0: teach you Defensive uh, mechanisms to, to deal with certain
2: arts. Right, exactly. And what we do is we have five, we have, uh, we have, we have, we call them fighting ranges, and that's a very wide, everybody does, but we have ranges of fighting. So we have, excuse me, we have kicking and punching,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we have uh, grappling, then we have ground, then we have mass attack, and then we have weapons. So all of these things we train in. And that's what Bruce Lee did, and that's and that's that's how our art has turned into um, more of a training method than an art.
0: What was the name? What was the official name? of Kundo. Do. Jeet Kune Do. So it was,
2: is 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 what it's called, and and it's still you know I don't even necessarily like to use the term that much because people just go, you know, because it sounds like it sounds like some Asian, you know, uh, vernacular that well, what does that mean? Well. I, I I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you you dumb it down for him. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, so, but it, it means way of the intercepting fist. But that's something they, they came up with driving in a car back in 1969 or 1970 when Dan and Asano and Bruce Lee were driving together or whatever, and they said we should call your art this because it's you know you're intercepting something. <laughs> but you know, but, but that's what that's the sort of and, and it's stuck and, and that's and that's what it is. But but it, the name doesn't necessarily uh, dictate what it does you know so I said my phone went crazy yeah
0: <laughs> well I have uh, I've taken up an hour of your time and I, I want to thank you so very much for, for sitting down and reminiscing with me and and uh, and, and talking about uh, you know your experience in Nashville and, sure. and hopefully educating some people that aren't out there and, and uh, that are thinking about coming to Nashville or that are just now picking up a guitar or, or wanting to be in country music or, or whatever else so uh, I appreciate that yeah, last no question, question. Mm-hmm. um so I'm not gonna say Bruce Lee because that's your, that's your that's your idol. So right. I'll say uh, uh, Chan, Jackie Chan versus Chuck Norris. Who wins? Um, Chuck Norris. Because. Uh, because uh,
2: uh, uh, Jackie Chan was is uh, a tremendous athlete, but Chuck Norris was actually a fighter.
0: Good answer. All right, man. You have a good one, buddy. Yeah. Thank you so
2: much, man. It's great catching up to you. All right, champ. Yeah. Ah. What is that? bags Oh, wow.